I'm a washed up baseball player, so uh, forgive the baseball analogy, but this was definitely a little bit of, of chin music. It was a fastball, <laughs> you know, high, high and in for the venture community. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I'm impressed, actually. I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) You sound good. How do you feel? (laughs) Nick Adams of Differential Ventures complimenting my voice because I'm back from COVID. Scientists have said, you know, everyone's had it. Uh, And so I thought to myself, oh, maybe I had it and I just didn't know. But uh, no, definitely I did not have this. Uh, (laughs) You you definitely know it. I, uh, I made it not quite as long as you. I got it in October of 2022. Um, but before that, I lived my life reasonably normally in, in New York, as normal as you could at that point in time, um, without being you know overly risky or crazy. But yeah, I made it a good two and a half years. This week on Sand Hill Road, what to do when your balance sheet sucks? Or as the great American philosopher Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to fold them. You know, in a market like this, where VC funding is not falling out of the trees like it was in 2021, you really have to look for the best options for your shareholders. And it takes some time to get through an M&A process, minimum six months, you know, usually you need to budget for a year. But if you're at that point and growth wasn't in the top, you know, 10 to 20 percent of, of VC-backed uh, companies, you've got to seriously consider it as an option uh, going forward. So uh, I recommend it, especially in this market. Time is not on your side if selling your startup is in your plans. We thought we had it all figured out. Growth was our, uh, you know, mantra. Grow, grow, grow. Taraj Parang speaking on an earlier episode of Sand Hill Road about trying to sell his company Jackster during the global financial crisis. So we had to sell uh, to the first person who expressed interest in us, and that was a fire sale. So uh, the outcome a penny, was Pennies not, on the dollar. Pennies on the dollar would actually be even a more generous way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to one entrepreneur who had a great startup called Jackster and then discovered that, you know, the other competitors had already sold themselves before he got around to it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's a real dynamic. I mean, you know, the reality is most exits in the venture world are are not the unicorns that we read about <clears throat> and hear about all the time. Um, so on the flip side of it, you have a lot of big companies and even medium-sized companies out there who have been threatened and, and challenged by uh, a drastically changing and ever-evolving technology climate over the last, you know, I'll generously say three years that we've been in, uh, in and around a pandemic. Um, but for the last 10 or 15 years, realistically, that need to catch up in a hurry. And there's an appetite to, to go discount shopping 
um, or even pay up, you know, serious multiples for the right technology that can help them either, um, it, it, you know, improve their revenue uh, projections and forecasts and go into new areas or just shore up their internal operations and be a little bit more effective um, through better use of technology in-house. And it's good use of cash in inflationary times. If companies are sitting on funds, uh, buy some companies. It's a great time. But like anybody else, you know, the, the corporates are looking at the, at the funding landscape, seeing not a whole lot of VC money is flowing through the system at the moment. And they're being opportunistic, too. They're Let me ask you, you why isn't there a lot of money flowing through the VC system? Because, you know, we go on TV all the time talking about, oh, times are tough and families are buckling down and all that stuff. And then we get the jobs numbers and the jobs numbers are phenomenal. I think the reality is that the recession we've been in so far is very much a tech recession. It's a correction of an overinflated, overhired, <laughs> overfunded market that really took off during, you know, before and then during during the pandemic. Um, you know, the funny thing about our, our market here is that it takes a long time to reprice itself, right? In, in public markets, you know, stock, stocks reprice themselves every second of every day. You know exactly where you are. You know if you made money or lost money every second of every day. Private markets, it takes months or years to know when we've hit, quote unquote, the bottom. And we're still working through that standoff right now between founders and investors to figure out if we're really at the bottom. And it affects the late stage VC funds a lot. You can, you know, as a seed stage fund, we can be 10, 20, maybe even 30% off on, on the valuation at a seed round and be okay if we have a billion dollar outcome. If you're 20 or 30% off in a series B or series C, you're probably looking for a new job. There are some other options to uh, startups that have run out of runway. One of them is to uh, take new funding on somewhat unfavorable terms. Uh, it's not ideal, but hey, you know, it keeps the lights on and it keeps the people employed. It does. I mean, your number one job as a CEO of any business is to fund your company. And, um, you know, I don't recommend necessarily uh, jumping on the first onerous terms that are, that are thrown at you. But if you're taking an honest look at your business and the market and your fundraising prospects and your options are um, a down round, um, it's not a time to get overly cute and optimize for valuation. Um, I think there's the reality is about 10 to 20% of, of startups right now are the top companies. They're still getting funded. They're still getting great valuations. And they're the ones that are growing 3x or more per, per year. Then there's probably another percentage that's like maybe 40 or 50% of the market of deals that have happened in the last year that are um, sort of favorable insider type deals. Um, existing, you know, VC funds on the cap table that want to keep their companies going at a at a, you know, relatively favorable valuation or or flat to the last round they're getting funded, and you've got that bottom thirty or forty percent that's they're struggling and, and they're looking for options right now, and you you just can't get you can't over optimize your valuation in this type of of climate. One of the places I was reading, there's sometimes money available as government grants. That would never have occurred to me. I mean, obviously, it depends on the industry, but but that is a that is a place to find funds. I'm uh, I'm dialing into this call from Toronto right now, where we have about seven or eight portfolio companies. Canada, in particular, has a number of very good government programs that offer non dilutive financing to their startup uh, economy. There's, um, they have what's called shred credits for um, reimbursing uh, engineering talent. They have um, 
a program called SOFI uh, that that lends to startups based on you know certain terms and, and milestones in the business. Um, that is debt, um, but very favorable government debt that sits senior to your, your shareholders. But it's good. And, and other um, you know, in the lack of uh, other options, it's a very good thing to put on your cap table. And there's a bunch of programs like that. In, in the U.S., we're not as good at the government subsidies, um, but there are a few areas in particular. One what I'm excited about is the CHIPS Act. You know, the, the U.S. government's not great at uh, historically picking winners and losers in, in particular markets. I'm definitely thinking back to the, the solar days of uh, the late 2000s. Solyndra, yes. Yeah, <laughs> but um, there's a lot of money that should be flowing into this space. And, um, you know, that's one where I think there's some good opportunities to look into government funding or at least government contracts, which is um, revenue is always the best form of, of financing your business, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> what did you think of the the requirements that the uh, Commerce Department put on companies? You know, you have to have, uh, you can't buy back stock. You have to have a certain amount of uh, uh, child care, et cetera. Uh, it strikes me as reasonably fair. After all, we are giving you the funding. Yeah, I, I think... Anytime you take funding from you take a government conditions. entity, you take conditions, right? You know, same thing if you take funding from, um, you know, so, again, in, in Canada, for example, there are some uh, VC funds that are backed by banks or have a bank entity to them. They tend to require an audit in the company a little bit earlier than, you know, a, a typical VC fund would require. These are just things that you sort of have to accept uh, depending on where you, where you take your capital from. But these are, I, I would say... Um, you know, mild inconveniences in, in some ways, but, you know, overall, probably not terrible things to have built into your company as a, as a principle anyway. One of the other things that Canada, that, that I, at least they did it during the global financial crisis. I don't know if they're doing it this time around, but, you know, the companies with H-1B visa workers who may have been in their community for decades. Uh, and this is a problem I think a lot of people outside Silicon Valley aren't aware of. You know, is the the family from, let's say, India, in which dad is the little league coach and he's been with Cisco or, or some startup for 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 ten years, um, pillar of his community. His wife is loved by all. His kids are, you know, lifeguards, and the dad loses his job. They got to go, uh, which is insane. Uh, but Canada has said, "Listen, come up here. You have to you have to fund yourself. I mean, you have to live in Canada on your own dime." Uh, but come up here, and you can just be in Canada until a job pops up in Canada. It, it's worked really well for them. Look, the the um, for, for a number of reasons, the U.S. became slightly less uh, appealing uh, for uh, immigration uh, for for the last you know six, seven, eight years. Um, Canada really jumped on the opportunity, and uh, a lot of folks who I think. Ordinarily, would would land in the U.S., start companies, become executives in, in tech companies, uh, and elsewhere in the economy. You know, unfortunately, have have landed in Canada. Um, and look, you know, border control and, and immigration is a never-ending battle. There is no exact right or wrong answer. Um, but I do think that um, you know the U.S. would benefit from continuing to. Uh, have a favorable immigration policy um, that that better attracts those folks um, to come into the U.S. and, and to stay into the U.S. 
I have in the past compared it to when you were picking a, you know, a kickball team on the playground. And, you know, normally you have to go, I pick one team member, you picked one team member. The U.S. has also always gotten to go, okay, I, f- I picked these first 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. And it's been a great competitive advantage. I mean, look, it's, it's played out in all, sort, all parts of our economy. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll get back there. I, I really do. Um, but it's just going to take a little bit, of, little bit of time. These things go through ebbs and flows, of course. What is your strategy or has your strategy changed at all as VC money is drying up? You know, it really hasn't changed that much for us. At, at the seed stage, we have um, the advantage of being, I would say, pretty consistent and, and a little bit picky. Obviously, we're always competing for, for the best deals, um, but we've got to stay consistent to what our core strengths are, right? Um, we... we um, tend to believe that we're still in the very early days of what's possible with AI and machine learning. Um, we, we've you know, been in the space since 2017. My business partner and I both came from the quote-unquote AI world uh, over you know, 15, 20 years of our careers previously. Um, and you know, it's funny, I think in, in the six years we've been running this fund, in the first two years, everybody said, my God, this is brilliant. You, know, you guys have a unique experience as data scientists and practitioners in the AI market. And then there was about a two-year period where everybody was investing in crypto and metaverse and everything else. And everybody looked at us and said, what are you guys doing? You know, AI, every, <laughs> everything's been done. And then the last three months or so since ChatGPT exploded, uh, I think my IQ seems to have gone up 10 or 15 points. <laughs> I feel like the same guy I was six years ago. But it's interesting. We stay, we've stayed very consistent. Um, you know, we do look for um, good Sound AI, uh, machine learning, uh, uh, both applied applications and kind of the infrastructure and, and the really boring tools around it that make the AI, quote unquote, AI possible. Um, but we also do look for some of the macro trends and say, um, uh, you know, ahead of some of these um, bigger um, evolutions and also concerns. You know, we've invested in, we don't do hardware, but we do. Um, software for hardware and, and the chips industry, for example. We've, we've done software for the quantum computing industry. Um, we're spending a lot of time in cybersecurity because we're in sort of a perpetual uh, cyber cold war, I think, um, uh, globally. So those are spaces that we continue to focus on from a thematic perspective. You mentioned blockchain and then AI. I'll tell you, as a reporter, you you get these uh, you know pitches about different companies. And a while back, it was big data. You know, this is a big data company doing big data. And then for a long time, it was blockchain. You know, we're using the blockchain to you know to deliver food to houses. And you're like, I don't think you really understand what the blockchain <laughs> is. And I will tell you, now it is AI. How do I, as someone who is not a data scientist, determine if a company that puts AI in their name is in any way involved in AI? Uh, great question. Um, I would say this. So as a, I, I have product manager level experience uh, in terms of technology. So the truth is I can still get fooled um, by, a, by a flashy salesperson with an AI message. My partner, David, is a PhD in computer science. He spent 22 years building Renaissance technologies and you know they've done pretty well using uh, not necessarily AI, but data science to um, uh, perform extremely well in, in the markets. Um, so I, I tend to think of, you know, how do you invest in AI as a non-technical person, right? And I think, you know, first of all, it's important to know that AI is not magic <laughs> and computers mm-hmm. don't learn, <laughs> right? It's, it's math, it's coding, and it's, and it's math. The second thing I always think of is um, 
there is a very much a uh, human element to this of separating the serious founders from from the opportunists. Uh, AI is not something you can fake. If you have a team of low code, no code uh, AI uh, engineers or, or product, and they don't really have data science in their background, it's not a bet I would want to make. Right? That seems like an opportunistic uh, mm. fundraising pitch. Right. Third thing I look for is um, is the value of the company derived from the the genius of the founders and and their AI and the technology, um, or is it using good sound technology and data science principles to build a product that adds value as actual business value, right? Um, and then it's you know it's all about the data. <laughs> data <laughs> data is really the king. We're still seeing it in ChatGPT. Uh, you know, it's it's concerning. It's, it's a fascinating tool and also concerning at how confidently it can spit out wrong answers mm-hmm. um, based on where it's getting its data from. And then um, lastly, you know, I, I, I've went down the MBA route for better or worse. And um, But when you're looking at AI as a non-technical investor, it's still really important to remember kind of your B-school, your, your business school basics, right? <laughs> Porter's Five Forces, the business model canvas, and, and an innovation market map are all a great starting point. And then you can go talk to your tech experts. I can call David and say, is this thing real or not? Why would anybody use this in the data science world? And, and um, fortunately, I don't have to go at the technology side of things alone. Um, he can kind of check me on that and not get caught up in a flashy sales pitch. But it's, it's, I was hard. Talking to it's a, hard. I was talking to a, an investor who works for uh, SE Ventures, which is a spinoff of, uh, uh, is it Schmidt Electronics? But uh, at any rate, I asked him a similar question. And he said, you know, start with, are they solving a problem? <laughs> uh, you know, that they're using AI is great. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But first, are they solving a problem that has a market? Totally. Um, which, you know, when you think about, again, that, what made me think of that was, you know, go back to your MA, MBA days. Uh, are, are we doing something that, that people will pay for and solves a problem in a way that hasn't been solved before? Oh, and by the way, we're using AI to do it. Absolutely. N- no question. Did you see the, uh, the warning from the FTC? Uh, about don't get over your skis on AI. I, I did. It was, it was, it was, it wasn't an official, I, I guess it, everything's an official statement from the FTC. It was written on their blog page. So it was a, maybe a little bit more casual than a ruling or whatnot. Uh, but I was plain language like, Hey, Silicon Valley, you've done this before. Do not get overly enthusiastic about AI and start fooling people into something that you're not really doing. I did see this. It was, it was a, f- a, a funny press release or blog. Um, it was a little bit cheeky. Um, yes, it, it was. was. It was definitely. I'm a washed-up baseball player, so uh, forgive the baseball analogy. But this was definitely a little bit of, of chin music. It was a fastball, <laughs> you know, high high and in to the venture community. I think it's smart. You know, I think the crypto community got away from, um, you know, government regulatory bodies <clears throat> a little bit further than they would have liked to. Um, and it's probably a good time to get out in front of AI a bit. And, you know, I've, I, I'm active with the NBCA, National Venture Capital Association, and, um, you know, was looking at some of their subgroups recently um, to, to join. There were two focused on, on blockchain, actually, and none around AI. So naturally in the, in the field to fill out, you know, what other groups should be thinking about, I said, you really need to have an, an AI group of people who have done this and, and, and been there before and know what the limitations are in and around AI. And uh, 
that will definitely help inform how the NBCA chats with our with our government, our regulators, to make sure we're not overregulated, um, but also there is enough consumer protection in place for people not to get not to get fooled. Nick Adams, managing partner at Differential Ventures. Next week on Sand Hill Road. So the answer is no, you had no funding. <laughs> I didn't, no. But, you know, yeah, I, I can't comment too much on the specifics of who came in, but found people who I think are, who share my mission. You were confident founders. that the funding would come. I, yeah, I was confident. And, you know, I I was determined. Christina Simmons leaves Coastla Ventures to strike out on her own with Overwater Ventures. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.